Welcome to Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Line Miller, your host. We're a community of industry experts, food technologists, and food enthusiasts talking all about the future of food. And with that, we are jumping into today's episode. I'm so excited to have real Phil Ratford here. He is a senior vice president of new product development and innovation with Wellbuilt. Welcome to the podcast, Phil. Hi, Pam. Nice to be here. Yeah, I love your title. I mm. think that is one of the coolest titles that I've heard. And tell me what you do at Wellbuilt as the new product development and um, innovation senior vice president. Yeah, no worries. So, so I take care of all of our product development systems within our corporation. And we're a pretty big organization, uh, now part of the Alley Group we were acquired earlier this year. For that, we are a, a, an organization of 12 companies and those companies manufactured um, cooking and beverage equipment uh, in different industries, ice machines, speed ovens, fryers, and all of those product categories require new products from time to time. And the systems they use to develop those new New products reliably and repeatably with the systems that I created and oversaw. And, and on top of that, the innovation part is we have, a, we have a team of people in Monterey, Mexico that look at what we call advanced innovation or breakthrough innovation. And they take care of um, ideas that don't necessarily fit so well in one of our business units or ideas that are probably outside of our business interest currently, things that we're just trying out. So we, we can try them reasonably low cost and we can, if we have to fail, we have to fail cheaply. Well, hey, that's a great idea because you will fail when you're developing new products right. and when you're innovating, that's just a part of it. But I, I think it's really interesting that you know, a lot of times people think about the future food cast. We're talking about how we grow our food, the manufacturing of it, how we're getting it from one point to another and the fisheries and all of that restaurants, but you are, are the necessary piece in, right. in creating the food that we eat, all of the equipment mm. that mm. we use. And I think you're overlooked, Phil. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And it used to be for, for, for a long time, food service equipment or commercial food service um, separate from industrial food service, where it would be a factory or a processing center creating food items, we we are the bit that goes between supply and the customer. So every commercial kitchen would would have a, a part of our equipment in their establishment. And it, it, it is interesting because we always used to consider this to be uh, a recession-proof industry. And through recent challenges, it's shown that it's far from recession-proof. We had no idea that so many restaurants through the last um, pandemic would be closed down and, and we had some some serious challenges through that as, as most people did right and you yep. have a worldwide distribution network mm. as well so Absolutely. every everything was affected what happened there well it's not it wasn't just the distribution we manufacture in a number of countries we manufacture a lot in the us canada um, latin america but we also manufacture across europe and in the middle east we have uh, manufacturing in northern china manufacturing in southern china we manufacture in singapore um, now with our new organization we manufacture in in new zealand and australia um manufacturing in a town called prachenberry in thailand and it, we really are all over big a big challenge for us and it, it actually is still a challenge um from a global supply chain basis because we source materials everywhere and when the supply of those materials is restricted, the supply of the methods by which you get those materials is restricted. It's a huge challenge for us. And it has been a challenge for coming up two years now. Yeah, you're you're not by yourself on that, Phil. Practically mm -hmm. everyone that I've spoken with mm -hmm. has felt 
the ramifications because it is everyone's connected. Mm -hmm. And when there's a kink somewhere in the hose, uh, nobody down line can get their water, essentially. It, so. it, it, it's funny, actually, Pam, we've, we thought we were being really smart by we created a new controller platform um, a few years ago, we probably launched it in 2019, early 20. It was our common controller platform. So all well-built appliances use the same hardware and software, which makes it easy for us to maintain, but also makes it easy for customers to learn. So when you have a suite or a system of well-built products, you use an ice machine, it works the same way as the speed oven, there's the combi steamer, the same icons, the same workflow, and it's very easy to use and clean. And that meant that we, we put our, our eggs in that one basket. So we had a common control architecture, which used kind of modern processes and electronics that were shared by the automotive industry. So as the automotive industry came back out of COVID, they, they swamped the, the global supply of those processes and components. And here's us, well, but we, we require tens or hundreds of thousands of those a year. Automotive are buying millions and their demand way outstripped our, our supply ability. So we had a challenge there and we're still feeling a bit of it now, but it's not as bad as it was. Yeah, well, that was a really smart idea to make it mm. common across. So maybe you'd have those brand loyal locations that love your products and want to have all of the different pieces of equipment that they need with your product. But you have all different kinds of like ovens, for example. That's right. So you just don't have one. So do they all no. have the same kind of controls on it? How does that? Actually, it, that's, um, that's kind of part of our architecture plan. So when we create our platform, if you think about um, our categories, um, speed ovens are an easy one because I, I ran the speed oven business for a number of years and and that we, we simplified it very, very quickly to reduce the number of um, units that we, we had to make in manufacture and supply and, and support. But then we said, look, the, the interface, everything the customer touched, everything the user touched, we tried to commonize from model to model and from um, user category, or we call them personas or user types. So it's an installer, it's a user, it's somebody who cleans it, somebody who maintains it. They all have to have the same experience. And so we made those experiences the same independent of which model you're using. And then we expanded that from, from speed ovens into combi steamers. So the combi steamer user experience is similar as well. And we're rolling into um, fryers as well. So if you use a Frymaster fryer, the look and feel of the, the, the touchscreen controller will be the same. So the same um, icons in the same place on the screen, the same user flow. Um, and then that's the same on um, some of our deck ovens from, for Garland as well. You look, they have a, we have a touchscreen version of the convection ovens, and that has a very similar user feel. And on the new conveyor ovens from Lincoln, it's the same. The conveyor imagery looks like it could be on a Marichef. So the, the customers, the users, the installers and the maintainers, they get the same experience. And when they use one, they should be able to use another. So interesting. It's kind of like economies of scale uh, for the end buyer, you know, yeah. uh, training wise and all of that for all the different pieces of activity that need to be associated with that. Yeah. Consider how um, we have a shortage of people in many of our industries. Yes, and when, we <laughs> when we have a, the life cycle of a product is more than us making and selling and installing a product. It starts all the way back at how we're going to design it. So it's as, as, as clean as it can be our factory. We, we consider we consider the life of our employees when they put it together, that they're comfortable, they have a good environment, but that takes it all the way through to recycling at the end. Some of our facilities, they take back products they sold many years ago and they are responsible for recycling them. So we have the full loop of, um, of, of, of control over that appliance. And when we make it one way, we sell it, we deliver it, we install it, 
and we maintain it through the life. Then we take it away at the end of its life and we break it up and we recycle it. So we own the whole product life cycle. Wow. So that's a really full service. Huh? When you sell a product, you're not finished with that customer. You're really Absolutely. with them. And that's where um, lifetime relationships with major customers happen. Let, let's say there's a large convenience store chain in the US, in the northeastern part of the US. They've had three generations of the same product from us. The first one, 2005. The second one, 2013. They've got the new one now 2018 and they're going to go into the fourth version and every time we roll out the new platform we remove all the old appliances and install them in new estate and it works really really well because we have the relationship with those customers and they know if there's a problem which there sometimes is we will always support them in that okay wow and that's the way to do it right mm -hmm. you're your sales teams, you know, can just work on those customer relationships and not always be having to tread new ground. Because like you said, I mean, there are, there are some locations, especially in the commercial space that, that are there and, and they've mm. been there and they're going to be there like a convenience store, great location. Right. It's not a quick turnover. It's not like the restaurant business sometimes where mm. there's one restaurant in that space. And a couple of years later, there's another restaurant in that space. And then yeah. you know, it's still a little bit different. So typically we, we we break down those type of industries into a, a chain or a, a key account or a global key account or a global strategic account. Those are the accounts that are, they have an overriding brand identity and they sell their brand in a number of areas and they typically have the same uh, platform of kitchen. So if it's a burger chain, they would have a way of cooking burgers, a way of cooking fries, a drinks dispenser and some sweet, sweet treats alternatives and holding and selling and things like that. But when you have a general market customer, it can be one day it can be a scratch kitchen selling um, seafood, and then that that may that may go bankrupt, and and then the new owners may take it over, and they may turn to a burger kitchen. Some of the stuff's the same. When you when you talk about the, the key accounts are great because they have global reach, and but with global reach comes requirement for global support. And that can be reasonably tricky to to deal with unless there's sufficient scale. And also with a key account, we have, I don't want to call it feast and famine, but it's you support the business continuously with a number of units every period. And all of a sudden there's a new opportunity. They want to go into a new market. There's a uh, replacement opportunity. Then you have a huge bulk of orders and with scale comes complexity. So we, a business like, um, like a combi steamer business may be required to increase volume by 50% for six months. And that's not easy because our supply chain can be two years long, our supply oh. chain of components. So then we have to then build flexibility into our supply chain. Then we have to convince our suppliers that we are the right partner. And then they need to believe our ethos as well. They need to be able to support these booms and these busts. Yeah, so, yeah trying to get trying to get different kind of customers. But mm. you know, so you you have customers that come to you and say, we need a, a piece of equipment that does this. You know, the simple ones are the, that we're familiar with, microwaves, mm. ovens, fryers that you mm. were mentioning. But do you also create things that uh, you're then going to sell or yeah, yeah, create things do. that a customer comes to you and says, this doesn't exist yet, but here's here's what we want? Like, yeah, how we that do. Happen? Yeah, well, it's quite nice actually, because it's because we've got a pro, we've got a, a decent amount of scale. We've asked our combined sales are maybe four or five billion dollars, so we do sell a lot of equipment. So if a, a major customer has a concept that they would like a a partner to support, they would come to us. Well, there are a few I'm working on now, where major customers say we have a concept, we want to buy. Um, generally, they'd ask us for some equipment which would do this, that, and the other. They okay. wouldn't say we, we're not a contract manufacturer. They wouldn't come to us with a design and say, make that for us. You'd, you'd go to Flex or somebody for that. But they come to us and say, we, we, we have a concept for a new type of beverage 
and we would like you to help us develop and then manufacture the equipment to um, hold, store, dispense, dose that beverage. And we would do that for them. And then that would, that would turn into a development agreement and we'd fund it or they'd fund it or we'd share the cost typically. And then we would, on the back of it, we would have a manufacturing agreement to manufacture it for a period of time at an agreed price. Um, and then there is the other one where we, where we have an idea. We have a, a lot of, uh, we have a big innovation team across our group and from time to time we have some crazy ideas and we test them and we say this is a new idea and we think this is going to have um going to have some legs in this market and that's probably more difficult for us formally because being part of a, a publicly traded company you need to see returns through your investment and the investments that don't have a customer attached are quite difficult to justify sometimes where we don't have a, cl a clear foresight uh, the guessing on the, um, the the business case is even more guess than than if it was with a customer that's linked because you can use their forecast to build your business case, and that can be a challenge. And now we're privately owned. The challenge is slightly different. You just need to convince a smaller audience that what you're doing is the right thing. So right. you take your business case still, and you say to the, our new owner, "Say, oh, we would like to develop this. This is the opportunity." And and then we agree, or, or we don't, and we take it away. But we we've had a big mixture of those. If you look at the Wellbook portfolio, it is a mixture of I don't want to say standard products, but it's standard product categories. And then there's some real strange stuff that doesn't go in any of our portfolios. Our, our fresh blender is a good example of that. It's a semi-automatic fresh fruit blended ice beverage machine. And that didn't fit in any of our categories. It came off the back of our, our, our blended ice machine that we started back in oh, 2008 or nine, where you make smoothies in the machine. This was an automated version of that, that we partnered with a third party to, because with that, the biggest thing was the ingredients because you need to support something that's a vending machine in reality within a, a global ingredient supply there was the challenge there so we partnered with a company we developed the hardware they developed the ingredients and the footprint of ingredients across the world and we made a great appliance okay and that sounds like you have just a lot of leeway to um, both be innovative and also meet the customer's needs hmm. what is one of the most fun things that you you know that we might enjoy hearing about as far as new product or creative or innovative and well so when we when we're working with customers on the products that they ask us to work on those are all super secret because they've got a reason they're keeping it quiet and we do have some of them that are going to come out i would say we have a really really interesting coffee concept that's going to come out with a really big coffee company throughout next year towards the end of next year you should keep a lookout for that We've been we've been really big in in nitro cold brew and cold brew dispensers for the past or must be six or eight years. We've been leading the way in that marketplace because again in the US it's, it's particularly big, but cold coffee is enormous and cold brew is is, is massive and nitro cold brew is getting just as big. So we're we're a leader in that marketplace and we're working we're working on the product in that area. So that's quite exciting. We also have a whole new range of um, deep fat fryers coming out with our, our Frymaster team, our Intuition Fryer range, which is going to be the most efficient, most easy to service appliance on the marketplace. I mentioned the whole life cycle of a product. With a fryer, it's quite normally quite narrow and sometimes stuff's at the back if you need to fix it. It's a real pain. Our Intuition Fryer is completely serviceable from the front. You open the front doors, everything is in there in, there in front for any, anything you need. So anybody to service it, you don't need to pull it out, open the door and it's right in front of you. Super easy to finish, to, to work on and to, and to service. So we've got awesome. things in those areas. Yeah. Our, um, our speed oven brand is just launching its new model of speed ovens, the Connex range. And there's the Connex 12 and the Connex 16, next generation high speed ovens from the Marichef brand. Brilliant products. You wait, the Connex 16 is amazing. You look at the appliance from the outside, 
it's smaller from the outside than anything else in the market, yet the cooking area is bigger than anything else in the market. It's amazing. You'll, you'll see it and you'll think to yourself, how can that possibly be right? But it's like a TARDIS. It's amazing. Well, and when a normal person like me, who's not involved <clears throat> in commercial equipment, thinks about commercial equipment, mm. I think, you know, how hard can it be and how much more <laughs> can we have? Uh, no offense, mm. <laughs> but because there's a whole, obviously, that's why I'm not in that business, right? Because <laughs> you have a lot of innovation, just the things that you just mentioned and the new products. And yeah. I know you're always trying to think about now with our people's shortage and also our focus on sustainability, you know, mm. kind of those all-in-one products maybe that might mm. be able to, I don't know, you put the stuff in and it it does things. I think when we talked before, you mentioned, you know, where people don't really need to get involved. Other That's than, right. Uh, uh, I, I think um, if, you, if you think about his, historically where a kitchen was, you had so many pieces of discrete equipment. You would have a, a range and an oven and a steamer and a grill or a salamander. Now we, we're seeing that customers don't want all that equipment. They do want more. We're seeing, I don't think any equipment can do everything, but we're seeing that more customers are being becoming willing to compromise on one of their attributes. It's when, when, when you have every piece of equipment, everything can be perfect as a small discrete job. When you start combining those, you have to compromise. And the challenge is, where do you make the compromises? If you go from a dedicated steamer and a dedicated convection oven, the steam is going to be great. The convection oven is going to be great. You make a combi steamer and there's a compromise and the compromise can be on it's maybe slightly bigger. It's definitely going to be more expensive. Maybe it's more complicated. Maybe it may have some reliability challenges because with every with every part you add to an appliance, you increase the overall component or overall compliance unreliability. It's a multiplication factor. Ah. So then we have to be, it's, it's, a, it's a simple, it's a simple calculation, number of parts multiplied by number of interfaces multiplied by number of subsystems. I think that's the calculation. So you multiply them up and that gives you the system unreliability. And the more you add in, the more complex it is. So, so we, we find that down that path of creating um, categories that do more than one thing, vending machines, for example, I mentioned our, our, our blended ice beverage machine, our fresh blender. I could see there's a time that that type of machine would dispense carbonated beverage as well. It doesn't at the moment. So instead of having a um, olden days, an ice machine, a pitcher blender, um, pump dispensers for flavors and a freezer to hold frozen fruit, you know how a fresh blender does all of that. Next to it is still a, a CSD dispenser, carbonated soft drink dispenser. And so maybe those will come together into one. So you'll have a beverage machine which does all of your cold beverages. And then maybe we'll link it with a coffee machine. So it'll be a hot and cold all beverage machine. But then that'd be quite complicated. Wow. And, we and that's, why, like that. that's why you're in this job, because you just, <laughs> off the top of your head, you're thinking about, well, here's this and this yeah. kind of machine, this kind of machine. I oh. could see a future where they might be in combination and we could maximize uh, both functions. That's and right. I mean, if, if, you look at, if you look at an oven, an oven generally heats something up. So I, I think about, what do I need that's hot? And it's and it's and it's normal food items that you want. But sometimes people want hot food that's for breakfast item, porridge, or oatmeal, oatmeal people. So we've had projects where we've had customers reheat oatmeal in our speed ovens. And oh. then that brings in other challenges because the speed oven's really hot. It's over 500 Fahrenheit. So the packaging, you bring the oatmeal in is a challenge. So then we develop new packaging. So with these customers who want these needs, we okay. say, right, you want a solution to warm oatmeal 
And then you say, okay, we've got to design new packaging to now hold that. Then you have to get it into the supply chain to the oatmeal manufacturer to bring it through in the scale that you need. Right. And then if that's a really big coffee chain that wants to warm porridge in a speed oven, that has to be supplied everywhere in the world. So then that's the challenge. And then that's all because they don't want hot water. They don't want to pour hot water into, into a pot of dry porridge. Okay. And so and they, so they we're trying to solve that. Yeah, and honestly, the solve, solve sometimes is amazing. Yeah. But when you take like a small item or a small task, it, it might not seem like much, but when you take it to scale and however mm. many hundreds or thousands of times they do that in a day or a week and across all the locations, things start to multiply out. Like you were talking about when you start to multiply <clears throat> things out. So then you can start to justify maybe some innovation to mm. take care of, like you're saying, pouring the hot water. I mean, it takes time. It takes a person. It you know, it's, it's, it is amazing. It, it is amazing. When you look at waste, you mentioned things, uh, green initiatives and sustainability. Waste yeah. is a real serious problem. Um, every commercial food service outlet has waste. If you look at some burger chains, they um, they cook burgers. They have a holding station where they hold them for a period of time. And then after they finish holding them, they, they, they go into the chili world. They turn into tomorrow's chili and that's and that's fine. So they take care of all of that. But then the buns go off. So the, then, what happens to the to the bread at the end of the day? It goes in it goes in the bin typically. What happens to um, squirty cream when you've got a, a a cold drink and you squirt cream on the top? A lot of the time, that comes out of a can. So we need to think about that. We need to think about what happens to that can at the end of its useful life. Does it go to landfill? Is it recycled? Do we use the canisters where we screw in nitrous oxide and we we make our own squirty cream? What do we do with the empty can of nitrous oxide? And then there's health benefits attached from using nitrous oxide. We, we know about those as well. There's so much more than just the appliance and then just the food and then the, the surrounding support around this segment, which makes it really, really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's very, it sounds very fun. And I, I love your uh, kind of your group that you talked about at the very beginning of our conversation you know that's um if you were going to fail you can fail cheaply because you, right. you know some people you know trying some things out yeah, and, and yeah. Like you said, uh, everything hits the Ooh. bottom line and so you don't want some of those trials or those you know innovative ideas that you're just trying to see if that's going to be a marketable thing mm. uh, it is it, it is important i think to have um an element of I don't want to call it a slush fund, but um, but it's it's an element of discovery. Let's call it discovery funds. That's so that's a better word. Discovery, discovery funds. Fund. Yeah. So, so we have fund, a yeah. we have a bunch of money, which is which is ring fenced for trying things. And so we have a, the team we have in Mexico, which is part made of um, graduate engineers and part made of um, apprentices. We actually employ uh, quite a few apprentices from Monterey University, Monterey Tech which is a, a fantastic technical university university in Monterey. We have a partnership with them where we give them uh, one year's employment as part of their university degree in engineering. So we have them for 25 hours a week. It's five hours a day. They come into us normally eight till one or seven till 12 or however they want to work. And they, they work with us and they, they learn. They learn about um, timekeeping. They learn about involving themselves in an industry that's, that there is a requirement to do things on a schedule. They learn all those nice skills that you need to learn as a, as a 19 or 20 year old kid. You need to learn these things about the real world. But also we get access to their, their, their clever, smart, quirky ideas that us 
us old people working in this for a long time we just don't have because we're we're stayed in our ways and um these new kids come in and and, and that's amazing because we have we really do we, we change them continuously and every time i visit montreal i was in montreal two weeks ago mm-hmm. i i've met i met three or more people i've not met before because they are new practicantes our apprentices mm-hmm. and they yeah. just come in with their new ideas and and then as part of that there is a benefit for us as well not not only do we get their resource but we also get access to the academics and the academics will do projects for us. And those yeah, academics, yeah. they will do um, a project in something we have no experience in. They'll take it on, they'll run it. They may even do it as an assignment in one of their taught courses to solve a problem for us. A good one we had was nanofluids, nanotechnology and fluids. So if you if you add certain particulates to, to liquids, you can change the properties of the liquid. And you think that sounds a bit futuristic? Well, I certainly did. So, so I met with the professor and in a refrigerator, the way that you typically chill a refrigerator is you get a liquid, you pump it down, you get a gas actually, you pump it into a liquid, as the liquid expands, it gets really cold. The typical thing of a, an underarm deodorant, you spray it, it always feels cold. That's the natural effect of expanding gases, absorbing heat out of the air. Same how a fridge works. But that liquid, it can absorb more, it can transfer more energy if you add certain particulates to it. So we're putting these nanoparticles in this liquid, in this refrigerant, to make our, our heat wells that you put chilled meats in in a serving line more efficient because it transfers more heat per centimetre. It's a, it's a measurement over distance from our refrigeration system into the food that's being held. And it's like these, these cool projects around nanotechnology we would never have had access to if we didn't have this collaborative partnership with Monterey Tech. Yeah. Really and I... Word of wisdom for mm. other businesses out there too, because mm. I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that whole apprenticeship used to be a very common thing or, or like the trade training in the trades, uh, mm. that kind of thing, you know, where you go and you work on problems and you're, you're with the people that are doing that business and you're understanding what they do, how they do it. And you get to bring your, like you said, perky mm-hmm. ideas with you and the, and the new things that you want to try. I mean, I thought, what a great partnership really for it, both. It is, it is. And, um, and we, we do have quite a few of these people with us. And I, I think there is absolutely no downside to our business to expose ourselves to young, diverse well, people in our, our workforce. They bring up so many things and, and where I can, I typically get them to travel with our business. So if the way we work in that, in that center is, we collaborate with our product lines as well. So if we're working on an appliance for our pizza oven business, our conveyor business, um, Lincoln up in Mississauga in Canada, I get some of them to, to, to spend time up there. So they may spend two or three weeks in one of our factories learning the life of how we make a product, learning the skills of um, change control. A big engineering challenge, how do you manage change through your business? Really big engineering challenge typically. So they learn that. They learn you just can't change a drawing and then there are no ramifications. These simple things that you learn through through experience and training. So they get that as well. And they also get to travel. They get to travel often kids who've been in Mexico their whole life. Sometimes they need they haven't got a passport. So we, we help them get a passport and they travel with us and we show them different places around the world. Nice. And that's what we try to do to give them a rounded experience of of real life. And and, and if we're able to at the end of their uh, their university degree, we, we give them a job. If, if we've got enough capacity and we, they're the right people, we actually engage them full time in a full time role. 
Yeah. And we do um, we do a similar thing here, too, with some of our colleges. I know a lot of colleges do that where they you know, you might go to school for a semester mm. and then you work for a company for a semester. You go to school for a semester, work for a company for a mm. semester. And it's very common that those partnerships end in full time jobs for the graduate. Like you mm. said, should there be capacity and need and uh, job availability out there? Yeah, I think that's. It's about a known quantity. If you if you if you know somebody, you know how good they are. You know how bad they are. I, mean, yeah. I don't. Nobody's perfect. Uh, I just think it's it really really helps to get access to to that semi unlimited workforce of smart people who who have gotten to a certain level. You, you just help them, and I, and I think it's we mentioned recyclability or, or sustainability. It's also about our social contract, about how us as an employer, us as a really really big company. We're a really big, really successful company. We make we make a lot of money, but it's about not just making money for us. It's about being responsible in what we do with that. Yeah, and I'm really mm. glad to hear about that program. Mm. Um, one more thing I did want to cover with you, which had to be with you talked about the them going up and seeing how you make things, and you yeah. can't change one thing and yeah. and have it. Um, you know, there are ramifications to maybe changing one part or whatever. Mm. And I know that has had to impact not an intentional change, but maybe an unintentional change. When the supply chain, for example, you couldn't get something that was a component. Oh, yeah. You're laughing. <laughs> Honestly, you, you just reminded me of a nightmare that we've had. I mean, oh. I appreciate that. Thank you. When, well, when I'm I to think of another topic. I don't want to end on a nightmare, but let's go ahead and cover this and then we'll. No, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing. When your um, assembly line is running and it's all happy, it's running at the right speed, everybody's happy, everybody knows their job and, and everybody's, everybody's making, making good of their day. When change happens, change is, change is a challenge in most businesses. And I always like to think about um, when you're scaling up or scaling down, it always has growing pains. You, you have to put more, more in of one thing or less in of another. But when you're changing the system as, on the fly, so we, we, say we make 100 ovens a day in our factory and say that's the number we make. In those 100 ovens are, are, are 100 electronic controllers. And in each one of those electronic controllers is 1,000 parts. So we have a hundred thousand parts that we fit just in the controllers in our appliance every single day. And our line is made up of maybe 20 stages. So we have 20 opportunities to get these hundred thousand parts wrong. And, and then our supplier of those electronic controllers says, Hey, got a big problem. Um, this component is out of stock. And we say, okay, so they, we've got an alternative. We've found an alternative. And if you're lucky, they can get it. If not, it can be a year out. And then you say, well, this is no good. I need something in three months they say oh it's about a year so and that's a real challenge we did have a supplier of a simple uh, what would should be a simple component go from uh three months or 13 weeks to 52 weeks and we had a three month stock safety stock and then it went up to a year and we're like we've got three months to find an alternative serious problem so so then we say we end up looking at what is the suitable alternative and our engineering teams they dedicated their entire 2021 to finding alternatives because our our appliances are industrial products and they have certain safety standards they should meet and those standards are safety um electrical electrical emissions um, um gas emissions um gas safety certification all sorts of safety standards which are tested by third-party agencies so we make an appliance we test it to a certain standard and then we say we think it passes and then we give it to a third-party agency to do a formal test and they test all the clauses in the standard and then they say yes it passes 
they say, but it passes based on this, the specification of the item you've just given us to test. And they have a list of stuff, which they say, it's, it's called a CPL, critical parts list. And then they say on this critical parts list, all these items are listed on your final report and you cannot change them. And then, then of our 100,000 challenges a day we have, one of those parts has changed and we say, right, so now we have to find an alternative, make sure we can get it, test it, do a reliability analysis, and then fit it, and then take it back to regulatory approval again. So that you is, have to go all the way back model. through that process. Oh, it's, it is. one uh, part or two or whatever it might It be. can be, if it is on the critical parts list, you have to send them it. You have to put it in the appliance. They have to do the testing on that component. And then the third party agency will come back and say, yes, we continue the certification of your appliance or not. And that's really tricky. And that, that's just one part. And that happened daily through 2020 and 2021. My goodness, yeah. 2021, I it was a daily problem through our whole business to maintain our supply chain to keep our products going. Real challenge for us. Well, thank you for sharing that. And <laughs> that's I right. <laughs> That, well, because again, you're not alone in, yeah. in that either, but but hopefully uh, things are starting to improve. Definitely. Okay. We've, abs we've absolutely, I, I think we've come out of that. I'd say in certain categories, there are still challenges. Um, gas components, if you have a, a, a gas heated oven, um, some of those gas appliances or um, safety valves, those are still on some significant lead times. Um, but I, I think we're, we're, we're certainly can see the light at the end of the tunnel but it but it's but it's a lot better than it was well that's great um thanks for sharing that I, no now, with a positive let's think about a positive maybe moving forward a, a thought that you'd like to leave with our audience before we go we, we've talked about much more than i thought we might talk about <laughs> today phil and when we were going to talk about well-built and what you do with really commercial kitchen equipment and yeah. we've we've um just gone into a lot of different topics that really are all are all associated. I mean, mm. you touch so many parts of the food business. You're you're integral in in a lot of things that happen. But moving forward, is uh, is there something you're looking forward to? Some new things coming down the yeah. Path? Some yeah. positive words you'd like to leave Ab with our audience? Absolutely, absolutely. I um we we talked about um our supply chain challenges. We talked about um products that do different things. And I like to, I always like to think about um, what we're going to do next. And, and automation is, is going to be the next thing we're going to see in our, in our field. And I don't mean automation by we're going to have robots everywhere. There are suppliers of, of that technology and, it, and it's quite smart. We've seen automatic burger flippers. We've seen automatic um, robotic cocktail makers. We've seen all these, all these devices. And I don't think we're going to get there for a while yet because we just don't have the, the feedback systems in, in our robotic appliances that can do the, the things that require dexterity of, of human hands and eye and interactions uh, without so much training that it makes it so expensive to do. We're going to see customers and certainly big providers of, of food across our world. They're going to get more into automated uh, platforms and they're going to step by step, they're going to be automating parts of their business. So companies like Wellbuilt are going to be in the middle of that because we have the scale to do that type of thing, but you're going to see um, I mentioned uh, Fresh Blender, that's an automatic um, blended ice beverage machine. You're going to see things that do more like that for other, other categories. Um, French, you can buy automatic French fry fryers at the moment that dispense and fry a, a portion of fries. Quite expensive per portion, so that's going to get better. But I think you're going to see that in more of these 
restaurants where the the front of house is going to get smaller we're going to see kitchens only we're going to see more and more of these black dark kitchens ghost kitchens virtual kitchens you know, all the same thing but where you don't have any customer customer front customer facing storefront pickup only delivery only going to see more of that and i think that's that's very much a a, a us thing the drive through very us centric it's a little bit in, in europe now but it's going to be more broad and you're going to definitely see uh, more automated steps in in the production of, of great food going across the business. That's really wow. what I think we're going to go to in the next few years. Well, thanks for giving us that heads up. We'll definitely be looking out for mm -hmm. all that automation coming in um, in the food service area. Well, Phil, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been eye-opening, and I hope our audience has in, enjoyed all the information that you've been able to share with them. We really no, appreciate my pleasure. being with us. No, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks, Pam. Yeah. And uh, this is Pam Miller again. It's been a great episode. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry.